Welcome to Watershed's April podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. And this month I'm joined once again by Sean Wilson, film writer and critic uh, who has a particular specialism and knowledge around use of music in film. And we're going to pick up on the discussion where we were talking about um, filmic, uh, film and music season. Last month we looked at the use of music to create suspense uh, and this month we're looking at the sound of sci-fi. I mean just generally Sean it seems to me that sci-fi lends musicians such a wide palette um, to work with. Yeah it does because it deals with subjects that are beyond our own comprehension and of course if you're dealing with subject matter like that, uh, film composers and indeed all forms of of musicians have to come up with their own sonic language. So in a way it's kind of a, it's a godsend for a film composer to work on on a film of this type because, and obviously I think it probably should be pointed out there are various different types of sci-fi film as well. There isn't one overarching style Mm -hmm. of sci-fi movie and what that means is there are lots of different types of sci-fi scores as well and they all sound very very different mm. well we're screening um the, the brunch is in april we're going to be screening five different examples of sci-fi um and you you mentioned there you know the experimentation and i think we've got to go back to to the great composer um, bernard herman um who if you think bernard herman uh, simply did as if you can say simply but did hitchcock films um, um that is just one of the things that herman um, was about he was you realize he was a phenomenal explorer and experimenter with sound and as you say sci-fi certainly lends itself and to those kinds of explorations and one of the films we're, we're showing is the day the earth stood still which Herman Scott and let's let's have a listen to that and then we then we can talk about it but this was in 19 the 1950s um, and let's hear if you let's see if you can hear the electric violin or the electric cello never mind the theremin that Bernard Herrmann used. So here we go. One, two, three, four. That's Herman's um, score there. A- extraordinary use of instrumentation in that, isn't it? Try to put yourself back in the recording studio when they first heard that, and they must have thought, what on earth is going on? And again, the, the field was open for Herman back in the 1950s to do this kind of thing, because I think the theremin had been used by Miklos Rocha in Hitchcock's Spellbound, but this clearly took it to a whole other level. I mean, this the, the theremin becomes the voice of the entire movie, and clearly Herman was burdened with an extraordinary sense of purpose, which is how do I communicate an alien language? How do I communicate the language of someone who is visiting Earth, who is not of this Earth? Mm. And you can hear, I think you can hear in, in that particular score, which it, it sounds so modernistic even now, isn't it? I mean, you can't even 
spot the joins. But that what that always reminds me of is the way that Danny Elfman parodies that in Mars Attacks, mm. the opening of Tim Burton's mm. Mars Attacks, which is one of the many ways in which that particular Bernard Herrmann mm. score has been so influential. Mm. And, and that is one of the problems of looking back at these older films, The Day They Are Stood Still. I was thinking also there of Forbidden Planet, yeah. which has got an amazing avant-garde um, soundtrack. It's all experimental noises. There's no sort of ordinary composed music. It's, it is made up of avant-garde sound. But because the film now is viewed through the you know however many decades later it's sort of seen as yeah. you know sort of cliche or, or a bit pulpy and a baby a bit throwaway the aliens as it were in these films are, are just just look funny now well i think you raise an interesting point there because clearly back in in the 1950s in terms of special effects clearly techniques were more limited and I think what that means is that the music is in, is emboldened more in these mm. films the music can step up because it has to step up and it has to take more of an active role in communicating something extraterrestrial yeah. and otherworldly whereas now because we've reached a level of sophistication with CGI and things that's sort of like occasionally the music can get lost or at most it's on it's on a par with the visuals whereas I think if you look at something like the day the earth stood still which looks in terms of its visuals relatively sort of crisp mm. but it's the music that really yeah. lifts the whole yeah. film up and, and as I was saying at, um, at the beginning it's the it, there's an electric violin there I think there's an electric cello maybe I'll have been two or three of them and, and that creates the sound of the, the landing you can feel it in the yeah. descending um, with the, the, the high pitched descend um, you, you can you can see you can see the spaceship <laughs> landing yeah. and then and then the other worldliness of the theremin and as you say, I mean, you can very much get the impression of, of a composer like Herman really in the laboratory um, creating these sounds. Cause so how do you imagine uh, the otherworldly soundscape? Yeah, because I suppose if you move it on a few years, you get to something like Doctor Who with the, with the theme from Doctor Who, which was, um, I forget, Delia Derbyshire. Delia Derbyshire, that's right, in the um, BBC um, studios. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's, that was an extraordinary oh. achievement for the time as well, com comparable to what Bernard Herrmann was doing on the big screen, definitely. Moving forward, um, one of the iconic films that were shown is The Terminator. Um, and... That, again, um, was such a kind of groundbreaking film visually, but it uses a different kind of approach to the soundtrack because, as you say, in the 70s, later on, you're beginning to get synthesizers, you're beginning to get much more of a sort of vocabulary of instruments and instrumentation. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's interesting talking about this because through the conversation you can trace not only the development of cinema but the development of music as a whole as as technology becomes more and more sophisticated. I mean it's interesting actually because clearly Brad Fidel's music for the Terminator is so Im important in reinforcing the sort of bleak forbidding atmosphere of, of the movie yet I would venture to say that the theme from the Terminator sounds in a lot of ways more dated in a lot of ways than the theme from the day the earth stood still which is quite an interesting contrary yeah, I mean yeah, I suppose it is. it's that thing about the synthesizer though, yeah yeah it? exactly I mean, it's, yeah it, 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 it's, it's, it doesn't it doesn't age well in some no. respects let's have a listen to Brad Fiedel's um, score to the Terminator
Yeah, it's the kind of Vangelis um, keyboard sound, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, it's also far bit for me to denigrate what Fidel did with that score. That's a very, very effective score because it shows what economy can do in a film score. It shows how sort of relatively sparse sort of orchestrations and approaches can create a really, really extraordinary well, that, sense of atmosphere. That undercurrent of the, I don't know if it's a, a drum sound, there's a beating sound that's 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 muscular. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is muscular and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna cause chaos. Um but as you say it's also economical as well, um in creating atmosphere. Yeah, and, and it shows in contrast with Bernard Herman, it shows that was a composer from that time responding mm. to what was available in in the period like you say, like Van Gelis, so Jerry Goldsmith, lots of um, film composers were doing this at the time, Alan Silvestri, um, who remains one of my favourites as well, riffing on this sort of almost explosion of, of synthesizers like um, I think Alan Silvestri used something called the Synclavia for um, Flight of the Navigator, which is one of my favourite childhood films. That's got a lovely electronic score to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, lots going on in this period. You, you, you mentioned Jerry Goldsmith and one of his sort of key uh, sci-fi scores is Alien. And I know that you're a big fan of this this particular soundtrack. Yeah, it's I think the, the, the story behind the score is as interesting as the score itself because you, you no doubt know that when Goldsmith came on to score the film for Ridley Scott, his idea was to present a theme that was led by a trumpet that presents this sort, of, this sort of romantic ideal of space that is then deconstructed over the course of the score. And then he gradually realised that Ridley Scott didn't want that because I think the score was probably doing too much. I mean, we were talking about when earlier when the score does this, a lot of the storytelling. I think Ridley Scott and in collaboration with the editor realised that maybe the score was overtaking the movie and maybe mm. the score was telling the audience too much mm. ahead of time about what was going to happen. Mm. So that led to extraordinary creative conflicts behind the scenes and Goldsmith and Ridley Scott didn't get on at all. Mm. And he, he um, Jerry Goldsmith's original main title theme was thrown out and he then had to replace it with something written in an hour, which he described as a piece of crap that I threw out in an hour, <laughs> which is what ended up on the main title sequence, but it works. Yeah, It works brilliantly. Well, because well, the, the two that we've just played there, um, The Day of the Earth Stood Still and Terminator, you know, it's interesting about Alien because the thing that I remember about Alien is the quietness of it, and you tend to forget that, you know, there's a good hour of the film that's 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 about them awakening and getting to know each other and getting to yeah. know the characters and there's very little scope but it's the, the, the Day of the Earth stood still and Terminator music's a sort of much more integral um, part, yeah. of, part of it uh, f from the word go uh, but whereas Alien I, I can see that Ridley Scott was searching for you know, didn't want people to know too much about what was going to happen exactly. so it becomes more of a shock yeah and there were um, I mean I think what what Alien demonstrates to me I mean bear in mind that in the same year that he composed Alien he composed Star Trek the motion picture I mean that's astonishing those two scores in the same year well, I mean they're kind of defining <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. but they are they are both sci-fi, but they are so different yeah. in terms of, of the films they accompany and what yeah. they sound like. But I think what Alien proves to me is what an extraordinary pioneer uh, Jerry Goldsmith was, because the instrumentation that he used on this, on the Alien score, was there was there was a, 
an instrument, I think, from the 16th century called the serpent, which mm. creates this slithery, like, scuttling mm. sound. He also used plucked strings that put through this thing called an echoplex, which gives this, like, echoing effect. So it's like, da-dum, 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 like that. And that, that, it's just, those are just two examples of what an extraordinary pioneer Jerry Goldsmith was and about how he was able to get to the heart of what the film was, or what he thought was the film in this case. I mean, it obviously didn't, it, it was a very, very acrimonious and very difficult relationship in this one. But I think, much as it pains me to say, the use of the music in the film works, regardless of how much they yeah. butchered Goldsmith's work, it works. Yeah. Well, Ridley Scott is a great director. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. He, know, he, knew what, he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly yeah. what he was doing. He just went about it in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a listen to, to some of Jerry Goldsmith's score for uh, Alien. Amazingly complex and rich score, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you, you you can hear the alien uh, in that. As you he say, gives that. it life. Yes, he, he yeah. gives he gives it musical life through the use of the serpent and through the use of the of the symphony symphony orchestra and the the way what Goldsmith was always brilliant at in all of his scores, not just sci-fi, was embellishing finding unique sounds. Yeah. I think he was the heir apparent to Bernard Herrmann. I was going to say the similarities to the way, to, to the way Herrmann was, um, you know, having the sort of um, repertoire of the orchestra and music, but introducing um, the electronic, in his case, um, and so the other, the, the alien, the UFO. And, and yeah, Goldsmith's doing exactly similar. Yeah. Um, now, another film that I chose for this season was Arrival. Uh, and... Really sad to hear of the composer of that, um, Johan Johansson's death. We, I programmed this um, before and wanted to. I mean, Arrival for me is one of the sort of most interesting contemporary sci-fi films. It was partly the score that really sort of hooked me into this film doing something very different. And so it was so tragic to hear of Johan Johansson's untimely death because it seemed to me that he was really. I mean, across film composing generally, he seemed to be giving it a sort of renewed energy. Yeah, he had he had a, a, a really really unique sound. I mean, he he was he had established himself uh, in Iceland with cinematic sounding pieces, not just film scores. But he had an extraordinarily prolific career. And yeah, and then you 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 get a, a director like Denis Villeneuve who thinks with music but he thinks with a very particular type mm. of music which isn't necessarily led by theme or melody but is led by rhythm and texture which is exactly the sort of thing that Arrival needs because it's an incredibly cerebral and interesting movie about how language can yeah. crisscross yeah. the galaxy. And it's about trying to understand language which of course yeah. link, links to the day the earth stood still because mm. it's about the language of mathematics and the the, the, the language of science as it were yeah. and, and in Arrival it's about speaking, it's about being able to communicate. Um, yeah and, 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 the, and the vocal effects and the, uh, the, one, the one particular thing in Arrival that I'll always remember when I watched it for the first time which was at the London Film Festival is that bowed, that, you get that bowed stream when you see the first egg shaped spaceship mm. And it's beautifully underplayed. It's Johan uh, Johansson never went in for anything that was overwrought in his scores. 
uh, that, ca that counts for things like the theory of everything as well. It strikes a really eerie note because you think, oh, you're going to be faced with this big brass ensemble mm. for something that's really big. He doesn't do that because that's not what Denis Villeneuve is looking for mm. emotionally in his film. And I think Johanny yeah, Hansen understood the conventions of science fiction music. It's just a shame he didn't get to do Blade Runner that he was taken off Blade Runner and placed mm. with Hans Zimmer and, and Benjamin Wolfish. I would have loved to have heard what he could have done with that. Um, clearly that didn't work out, but yeah, Arrival is a real testament to his capacity for finding very, very unique sounds that are very dark and yet also very intriguing as well. Well, let's, ha let's have a listen to some of Arrival. I mean, just such a, a layering of, of different things. It's a, a spine-tingling um, score. And, of course, he, he he also plays with the sound of the helicopters, which is so iconically done in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Um, but but is, is very quietly suggested here because they are flying towards this big object. Yeah. And so he's he's bringing in all sorts of nuances um, into the visuals. What, what he also, he, what he plays around with acoustics and ambience really, really well to give you the sense that you're being engulfed mm. in something. Actually, funnily, listening back to that again, um, it reminded me of something non-musical from another um, science fiction film, one of my favourites, which is Under the Skin, which was mm. scored by Mika Levy. The, the opening sequence of that, where you hear the words forming the first time, that just I've just, I've just literally made that connection. Mm. It reminds me a lot of that, of hearing, like you say, language being formed, except in this case it's done in, in the context of a, of a film score. Mm. Yeah, I, I think mm. he's, he and Denis Villeneuve were brilliant, brilliant mm. collaborators. Absolutely, uh, an extraordinary film arrival. Um, see, which, which really brings a, a sort of intellectual um, heft to the sci-fi, which is actually known for, I mean, really exploring some complex ideas. Yeah, it allows it also allows directors to and writers to sort of imagine and, and explore complex ideas. And it feels to me that Arrival's a sort of pinnacle in that in the genre. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the whole human v inhuman. Thing, isn't it? And I think what film composers can do is they can take textures that might be warm and harmonic and they can deconstruct them or they can strip out any sense of what's recognisable altogether and come up with something completely weird going right the way back to what Bernard Herrmann was doing with The Day the Earth Stood Still. No one had heard the capabilities of a theremin like that before. That's, I mean, even now that sounds... Strange. There's something about the tone, the tone of it. You got, is, you, and you've got to be very careful about going back to it. Yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yes, yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's 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 really. I think it just proves that science fiction is such a fertile ground for allowing music to act as its own language and to enrich the film in question. One of the events that you're going to be doing, um, Sean, is 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 interviewing um, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury, who did the score to. Alex Garland's Ex Machina, which, which for my money is up there with Under the Skin, actually, is one of the sort of finest sci-fis um, of recent times. And I know you've interviewed them before, but just tell us a bit about that score and why... Yeah, it's, uh, 
It's an interesting one. Again, I think it, it goes back to what I was saying with Jerry Goldsmith, which is there is an emotional truth at the heart of each film. And um, the, the composer and the director needs, or composers in this case, and director, need to be absolutely in absolute synchronicity with the director. They need to understand exactly what it is the director is doing. And it's bearing in mind, this was their debut film score. I mean, when I interviewed them, they spoke, they taught me through the process of originally being enlisted to score Dread, um, and their score was then thrown out because the film changed in the edit, although they said there was absolutely nothing acrimonious about that whatsoever. They said that it was due, it was just a, a parting of ways. But I think what they understood with Ex Machina is that it's about that latent sense of humanity, and there's something very human, yet also very fragile and very cold. It's got a kind of, I don't know what the word is, glassy kind of texture to it. Which is, I mean, it's entirely appropriate when you look at the design of the film as well. I mean, the, the, the vast majority of it is a chamber piece that takes place indoors, and there are all these glass partitions everywhere, which Alex Garland plays with mm. visually to like beautiful effect. And you can hear this kind of tinkling, like eerie mm. sort of soundscape going right the way through it. And I think what it shows is that they are, as composers, they are not afraid to underplay. Mm. It's, it's, it's That's one of the things that struck me about it was, you know, given, you know, sort of known, certainly known. Jeff's work in in terms of you know the work that he's doing around uh, Beak mm. with Beak at the moment and um, but the, 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 this is a kind of different vocabulary that that he's certainly working with here. Let's let's have a, a, a little listen to Jeff and Ben's score to Ex Machina. I think they're channeling their inner Brian Eno. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because when I I spoke to them, they they mentioned about how they work together. It's that Jeff Barry is very much influenced by John Carpenter, and the idea with John Carpenter is it's simplicity and economy is the thing. Let's strip out as much as you can and pare everything down to its bones. Whereas Ben Salisbury comes from a classical background, and somehow they complement each other brilliantly. And I think you can hear in that aspects of the two there is. It's got an electronic soundscape. There is the suggestion of a melody in there and therefore the suggestion of something that's human, but it's not quite coming out, which plays right into the themes of the film mm. because the idea is that Alicia Vikander's Ava is being tested for her humanity and you're kind of on the back foot throughout mm. as to what you're meant to think about this robotic creation. And it feels very delicate. I mean, mm. it is very um, glistening surface, but yeah. very fragile, delicate as well. Um, yeah, a bit like um, Vikander's yeah. character in she's the she's vulnerable in the, yeah, yeah. In, in the film, yeah. um, and there. But then again, um, everyone is vulnerable yeah. in, in in a lot of ways and in different ways. And it was clearly a, um, a, a not only a great collaboration between between them, but also with Alex Garland because they they've also just scored um, Annihilation. Um, which is not available in your uh, local cinema. <laughs> uh, uh, although there are, I noticed there are some screenings, but they've have you have you seen Annihilation yet? I have, yeah. And I thought, to, to be honest, I had I, I read the book just before I saw the film, and I had mixed feelings on it as a film. But as a collaboration between them and Alex Garland, again, it's it's very very interesting. I think it it widens out the soundscape. They um, they mentioned that. They, the use of an instrument called the waterphone, which in the 70s was used primarily as a sound design 
tool. They now use this as a primary instrument in the school. So it's got a very, very weird, like keening, mm. unusual quality to it. It, it. In many ways, it sounds like Ex Machina. It does sound to an extent broader. I think they, they talked very, very warmly about their collaboration with Alex Garland. And yeah, and there's clearly, creatively, um, a really strong uh, partnership. The, yeah. The, 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 yeah. I think he keeps them on their toes as well. He, he, his films mutate a lot, like, like the characters in the films themselves. His films develop and they go through lots of different changes and I think they have to keep up musically with what's happening whilst also making it dramatically appropriate, which you know, is obviously that's part of the challenge of doing any film score, really. So you'll be interviewing them um, in, in April uh, before a screening of Ex Machina. You'll be interviewing them in April as part of filming and before a screening of Ex Machina. The last film in the brunch season is uh, Planet of the Apes. And I should point out that it's the original. And, and, <laughs> uh, and the best. Yeah. Another Jerry Goldsmith uh, score. Let's, let's have a listen to Jerry Goldsmith's Planet of the Apes. What struck me uh, listening to that is how earthbound it feels. It it doesn't feel um, sci-fi, and then of course I suddenly thought, well, that's the whole point of the the, the film. Is, exactly, is, is it, it? It is precisely that. Yeah, it, it uses instruments that we we as listeners or as, as viewers in the film we've got some kind of visceral connection with the instruments that are being used just the instruments themselves have been turned inside out so it's both human and yet inhuman at the same time so the use of the ram's horn in there he also got the horn players to play without their mouthpieces to sort of to create they use like bowls and various sort of percussion instruments there's also the famous story about how he conducted the score while wearing an ape mask there's a picture of it that you can see online so radical revolutionary techniques for a film that, I can't remember when it was, late 60s, was it? Um, 68, yeah. 68. I mean, no one had heard anything like that mm. before in a film score, and Jeff Barron and Ben Salisbury actually did tell me, they said, uh, this was our first chance as youngsters to hear that sort of music, which we'd never otherwise be exposed to, being applied to a massive commercial film, because obviously the first Planet of the Apes was an enormous hit, and Jerry Goldsmith subsequently introduced atonal experimental science fiction music to a mass audience. We was one, one of one of the pioneers in that field. Um, yeah, it was what an, you know, an astonishingly dark and creepy and revolutionary score that was, like much of Jerry Goldsmith stuff. Of course, one of the, one of the things um, I tend not to think about is you know, a lot of musicians, aspiring musicians, are watching films and clearly being influenced by, inspired by um, soundtracks. I mean, you know, you've seen Jeff um, listening to John Carpenter and you, you know the planet, that's the kind of impact that, that these um, films are also having as well as sort of being immersed in the story but but they are very influential in, in musicians. Well I mean you think with that particular franchise, I mean that franchise um, was rebooted and only came to an end last year with War for the Planet of the Apes and I, which was scored by Michael Giacchino who I interviewed and he mentioned about how do I honour the legacy of, of 
Jerry Goldsmith, mm. uh, and he talked about the challenges inherent in that oil of silver. You know, it should be pointed out that Wolf of the Planet of the Apes as a film is obviously very, very different from the original 1968 Planet of the Apes, but I think you can hear rhythmic and percussive similarities that were carried over from Goldsmith's score into Chikino's, but I mean, Chikino is brilliant at doing that, honouring the legacy of what's come before he's done that in Star Trek and Star Wars and, and, and various other franchises as well. Great. The, the sound of sci-fi runs at Watershed throughout April, and as I said, um, Sean is going to be interviewing Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury about their work um, with Alex Garland. If you go to watershed.co.uk forward slash filmic dash 2018, you'll see more information about the season. Thank you very much, Sean. Thanks, Matt. See you next month.